Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Do you love it loud? Then plan to attend the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo, one-day event celebrating all things rock and roll. Over 20 rock podcasts from all over North America recording on-site. Panel discussions with producers that have worked with Ozzy, Slayer, Kiss, Y&T, Seven Dust, Dokken, and more. Celebrity signings and meet and greets with current and former members of Cinderella, Winger, Tora Tora, Collective Soul, Taiketo, The Monkees, with more to be announced. All that and record dealers slinging some sweet vinyl. The Nashville Rock and Pod Expo takes place Saturday, August 26th at the Music Valley Event Center. More information available at NashvilleRockandPodExpo.com as well as on Facebook. The Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. Feast your ears. Hey, it's Mark Striegel. Hope you're having a great summer. We're going to do something a little different on this episode of Talking Metal. What we're going to do is check out my other podcasts, okay? I do Talking Metal. Been doing that since 2005. One of the first rock podcasts. Absolutely, possibly one of the, if not the second or third uh, metal podcast to ever ever get out there on an RSS feed back in 2005. But anyways, we're talking about my other shows now. All right? So what I want to do is play you down recent episodes of my other podcasts. I do a show with Mitch Joel and Mitch LaFon called Metal Raps. In the past, I have put episodes out on this feed, but I kind of stopped doing that a number of months ago, and it definitely hurt listenership, um, you know, because all you guys who subscribe to this feed don't necessarily subscribe to the Metal Raps feed. So I want to encourage you to do that. Subscribe to Metal Raps on iTunes. And what we're going to do right now is listen to the most recent episode of Metal Raps. After that, we're going to listen to my other podcast, Talking Rock. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, here is Mitch Joel, Mitch LaFon, and myself with the most recent edition of Metal Raps. Well, hey there, and welcome to episode number 41 of Metal Raps. My name is Mitch Joel, and as always, we are joined by Talking Metal's Mark Striegel. Mark, how's it going? I'm great, Mitch. How are you doing? Awesome. And, of course, we are also with Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon's Mitch LaFon. Yes, yes. Uh, always here, and always a pleasure to be here. Well, this is a special time of the year, I think, and it's a special time of the year because I feel like it is the summer of Guns and Roses. We've got a band that has gone out on the road with uh, a whole bunch of excitement, energy, especially coming off of last summer where uh, not only was there the, re- the real sort of launch of this reunion or not in this lifetime, but we also had Axel pulling double duty on ACDC, which for me was one of the better live shows I saw last year. And then here we are with this band doing 30-plus songs at every stadium show they're playing. They just came off of doing an amazing 
private party slash event for Sirius XM Radio where they played live at the Apollo Theater. And I don't know if you guys caught that. It was phenomenal. There's a great video of that floating around. And of course, we can't forget the fact that it's Appetite for Destruction's 30th anniversary. Thank you for making me feel like the oldest fart in the world. Uh, but here we sit. What do you think? Is this the summer of Guns N' Roses, Mitch LaFon? Yes, of course. It's any time <laughs> anytime the band is active, it will be the summer of, the winter of, the spring of. Guns N' Roses is just one of those bands that is above and beyond everything else that's in the rock world, everything else that's going on. Doesn't matter if hip hop is outselling rock or what. Guns N' Roses is that next level. It's sort of like Paul McCartney or U2. Doesn't matter what the current trends are. If they're active, it is the year of Guns N' Roses. Period. End of story. And, um, you know, Appetite for Destruction, uh, 30th anniversary. It is absolutely wonderful. And I, I remember looking back in Metal Edge. Yes, Metal Edge. And they said, here is the band of the future. And I was like, no, they're not. Well, <laughs> gladly proven wrong 30 years later. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I, as, as far as it being the the summer of Guns N' Roses... Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, last summer probably could have been the summer of Guns N' Roses, too. But for, for me, I mean, they were playing the stadiums and stuff. So when, whenever, like Mitch said, whenever they're out there, it's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I, it, you know, it, I do reflect back on that record 30 years ago and just remember what a special record it was. And, and hearing it for the first time, I loved it. I was a hard rock guy. I was a metal guy at that time. But the thing I remember that there were you know there's certain records from the hard rock metal world that I I would see that would reach outside of the the metal hard rock world and that was one of them and, and you know Metallica was another band that put out records like that um, where I'd see the jocks on the football team liking what they're doing and uh, you know Van Halen but uh, Guns N' Roses, that first record, I specifically remember I worked in a record store when it came out, and this guy, this dad, who was probably, you know, 33, coming in with his 13-year-old kid, and he bought two copies of it on cassette. And I was like, oh, why are you buying two copies? And he was like, well, one for me, one for him. And you know, that really dawned on me because that, that wasn't, you know, the the latest faster pussycat or whatever was not that was not happening with their record you know or the late, even though the latest slaughter record or whatever a year year or two later th that didn't happen with those kinds of records but with appetite for destruction there was something special there that it 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 was reaching people who were into the stones you know and it was reaching people who were into anthrax and it was reaching people who were into possibly Richard Marks at that time, you know, so it, there was something really special about that record, not to mention the punk people, you know, I knew punk rockers who liked that record, you know, who were just eating it up, and, and it was, uh, it was just a really, really special album, I think one of the most special albums ever made, you know, in, in the history of music, really, at least for me. Yeah, if there's one album that I shred to death, whether it was cassette or vinyl, I had both, or then even CD, it, it had to have been Appetite for Destruction. I remember when I first heard about the band, um, I remember thinking like LA Guns and Guns N' Roses. I'm like, what, you know, is this like one of those cheap knockoff type things? And then when I heard that album, that opening track, the vibe of the band, you know, the other thing is, you know, timing is everything in life. And if you think about what was going on, like in 1987, I was 16 years old. 
mean, talk about just being primed and ready for an album like that and songs like that and being such a fan of, of that genre, you know, really. And I think 1983, the Oz Festival, I've spoken about it before on the show, was really the, the sort of cataclysm, cataclysmic moment for me in, in hard rock. I'd like Kiss before, I'd like some other heavier bands, but seeing that Us Festival thing come together in 83. So again, you sort of jump forward to 87, and now I've had, you know, a good four or five years to, to really dig in deep and see. And to me, Guns N' Roses was one of the first hard rock bands that wasn't my older brother's, it was mine. And I would, you know, back when he showed me what Shout at the Devil was, right. now I'm showing him Guns N' Roses. And not that it was the sort of beginning of the end of hair metal by any stretch of the imagination, but it really was a sort of divergent genre that suddenly came in, as you said so well, Mark, with the punk and that vibe. But um, so in, that, in a way, it, it was like hair metal gone wrong because, you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the beginning, it was everything you, not perfect. Yeah. If you look at that first video for for Welcome to the Jungle, they had hairspray. You know, they, they ditched it shortly after that, you know, but they were they were from that scene. But there was something that just wasn't right about it. And that's what made it so great. You know, it was and just, by 80s. Yeah. You're right, by 87, hair metal was moving into the cleaner a more, more, not processed, but everything just looked perfect. Even the bands were playing better and shredding more. And this was just so anti that. I mean, again, it's sort of like pivotal moments in, in music for me was also not even that, but also, I don't know if you guys remember, but they had this sort of live thing up here in Canada. It was shown on much music called Live at the Ritz. And it, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing, I, I, you know, I can look back on it and imagine that this is what it must have been like being a 14 or 15 year old kid being exposed to the clash as it was happening or the stones as it was happening. And Appetite for Destruction was really just that album for me. And, um, you so know, the to the danger, point where there was a danger there that just uh, didn't exist yeah, in modern rock at that time. And I'll often talk about there are other albums I used and abused like that. There was even Slippery When Wet and, and, and again, like, you know, Theater of Pain and other albums at the time that now I can't I can't even really listen to. Like, I'm sort of really tired on a lot of those bands. But any maybe Welcome to the Jungle, Sweet Child of Mine, not so much. But anytime Rocket Queen comes on or Mr. Brownstone, I, I'm definitely going to be listening to it and catching it. And uh, I find it amazing that here we are 30 years later. And, you know, again, we've, we've gone back and forth on whether or not it's the real band or the whole band. I think having Axel, Duff, and Slash on stage, yes, I miss Izzy. Yes, I miss Adler. I, I still think it, it gives enough of a vibe from the videos I've seen that, that that's just super exciting um the other part of this sort of moment with guns and roses that i'm finding a little bit curious is there's some floating out there stuff and the floating out there stuff right now seems to be around the possibility that this band is going to release a new album um you know i'm 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 praying it's not a chinese democracy moment here but uh, richard fortas has even sort of made subtle comments in the media somewhat recently uh, that and other media people, I listen a lot to Volume, the the All Talk channel on SiriusXM, and there's been a lot of this sort of people are hearing from other members in the band that original material is coming. I, I get nervous. I don't I don't know, <laughs> Mitch. What would you think of new GNR material? Is that what you want, or do you just want them to keep milking the old catalog? Uh, listen, I absolutely want new material. Quite frankly, um, it just depends how they do it. If uh, I mean I. 
I want them to sound classic. I want them to be Guns N' Roses. I don't want them to start experimenting and start trying to be Tool or or Nine Inch Nails or anything. If they can just go back, and I know they can't redo an Appetite for Destruction, but if you can give me some, you know, simple chords and some simple vocals and some simple, <laughs> like back then, I'm in for it. And if it's a question of going back to some old demos or songs that didn't get, and then updating those, I'll take that too. Um, I don't think or, it's going to be that. I think it's going to be closer to use your illusion if they go back. I don't think they're going to go back appetite style, Mark. What, what do you think? I, I think that, you know, <laughs> the chance of a new record, honestly, like a full <laughs> album to me after living through Chinese democracy and waiting for that for so many years and the drama that went on with releasing it and recording. I, I just... To hear Fortis say that, yeah, okay, but I, I'll believe it when I hear it and see it when you know the leaks start coming out. But it's just like I, I have a hard time thinking that that's going to happen. I do think Axel's, you know, I'm not inside by any means, but he does seem like maybe he's happier and, and in a better mental place than he was back in you know, the time when he was creating Chinese democracy. But so maybe that could help things. Uh, maybe his work with ACDC could help things. But I, I just, even back with, with Illusions, you know, they had so many, he didn't want to release those when, when, when they were working on those. It's just, I can't, I can't get excited about Fortis saying they're working on new music because it's just, we know how that goes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's I think there's a good chance it'll never see the light of day. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of like in the middle here. Part of me is just like they're, they're playing so it. well. Yeah, I, I love great new music from this band for sure. I just sort of historically thinking about what even happened with Use Your Illusion of being one and two. And then it's this sort of drama that goes into just getting 60 minutes of music out. I, I don't know if I can endure this anymore. Just play play with the songs I love and I, I'd be more than happy than, than dealing with the drama. I totally agree with you guys but listen i'll just put a period on this i would like to see them recut some of the um chinese democracy stuff with slash and duff playing on them because they, they do sound great live and i'd like to see them maybe take some of the velvet revolver stuff and put axel's voice on it it's not exactly a new album maybe just a, a repackaging of some older songs but i think that it would work and i think it would satiate the the fans quite. Frankly. I just don't think Axel would ever do that, but I don't disagree. <laughs> well, there was rumors that he was re they were rehearsing a Velvet Revolver song. I don't yes, think it um, was ever played, but no, but it was on the set list. If you look at those early set lists as the uh, potential songs, you know, uh, potential encores, I think it was either Slither or um, I think I have to go back. Fall but the there pieces, are pictures. Or, yeah, yeah, sure. maybe if you if you if you Google you know Guns N' Roses set list 2016 or whatever, and you hit images. There are some on there, and it was one of the songs right up there with uh, Used to Lover and all these other ones that have eventually made their way into the set list. So it's like, oh, come on, come on, you're missing one of those, you know, audibles. Let's get it in there. Um, but uh, hey, it would, uh, I think it would be great just to get those guys to, to put it put a 10 song album together, maybe get a slash song. And, and uh, I don't know, I think it would work. Uh, it's funny when we, when we think about what we want to talk about on this show we sort of do some texting back and forth before we get a chance to chat so we can all get prepped and 
I, I hate to be the, the person to always bring up the tragedy and the negativity in the world. And, and it seems, unfortunately, like, again, I don't know if this is just age situational. And here we are again with this insanely sad, crazy story about a great brand band, Adrenaline Mob. I mean, this is just one of those insane stories where the band had pulled over with their minivan or RV uh, somewhere outside of Gainesville, Florida, because there was a tire blowout. And this this massive truck came by and just plowed them killing bassist uh, David Z, which is insane, and the rest of the band really, really injured, some of them in pretty tough spots. They're now saying that their tour manager, Jane Train, has been hospitalized in Gainesville, Florida, obviously, since the accident took place. She's got like something like 60-plus percent of her body has third-degree burns on them. It's just a, a terrible story, uh, a very tragic story, too. And there's been some GoFundMe set up for, for members of the band. I mean, they were out on the road supporting their, their brand-new album, which, by the way, is a great album, We the People on Century Media. And just, I mean, talk about terrible, terrible luck. And I mean, I, I mean, I, I, you guys have done this, your family vacations, driving to see a show, it's late at night, something happens to your car. I mean, for this to happen is just, it's just, uh, uh, it's just a terrible story. Yeah, yeah there, there's absolutely no redeeming uh, value to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a terrible, terrible tragedy. And, you know, it was unfortunately unavoidable. I mean, it's not like you predict that your tire is going to blow out. You're going to have any kind of mechanical issues. And, you know, I don't think the truck driver was expecting somebody on this. You know, it's terrible. Now, uh, the only good thing, I guess, is that, you know, Mike Orlando's doing okay. Russell, the uh, the singer, has been uh, putting messages on Facebook, updating on his situation. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Man, it, it it's tough. It's yeah. it's really a tough one. I you know. And I mean, how much more can these guys just be put through? Endure. I mean, yeah. Mike Orlando lost his best friend, AJ. You know, AJ Perro from Twisted Sister, who was also an Adrenaline Mob, uh, and, and and now this just uh, just so awful. David Z had been on Talking Metal. Uh, he was definitely in in kind of the New Jersey New York circle. He had a TV show on on a station I used to work at, IFC. Great, great guy, and just very sad. Uh, his his brother Paulie, another great guy. Paulie and, and David, both friends of, of Paul Stanley's. Uh, you know, just tragic and and terrible, terrible news. Um, my heart goes out to these guys. And Mike Orlando, I, I love that guy so much. I see yeah, him all too. the time. I think uh, Mitch, he's friends with with your buddy Doug Goldstein. I saw him with with yeah. Doug when Doug was in New York. I see Mike out at the clubs. He's a supporter of the scene. He produces a lot of the local Jersey bands. He lives right across the uh, <clears throat> the bridge there in Staten Island, and and he's uh, you know which is part of New York City, but it almost feels like it's part of New Jersey because it sits south by by <laughs> Jersey. And he's always over in New Jersey. And I, I shot a VH1 that Metal Gear with him episode back in 2015. Love that guy, and uh, just I can't wait to see him and, and give him a, a big hug because God, I mean, what what how awful. Yeah, I'll tell you, I was out at the NAMM show a couple years ago, the music show, and Mitch had done an introduction to Doug uh, for me, and, and Doug was, was hanging with Mike Orlando. Of course, I had known Adrenaline Mob. I would known the quality of their music and what they were about, especially being a huge Dream Theater fan, and Mike Portnoy played drums in the band uh, when they came out of the gates. And I wound up spending you know, my three or four days that I was in Anaheim, I just like just circumstantially ran into Mike all the time, always a smile on his face, always, hey, bud. 
God, remembered who I was, remembered my name, wanted to get to know me, exchanged emails. And I literally was walking by one day at NAMM, and he's just sitting there shredding at some booth. I don't know if it was guitar strings or the guitars that he was endorsing. And just like standing there with my jaw dropped and he saw me like, you know, wink over. I mean, it's exactly what you said, Mark. You sort of left there feeling that even though I only spent a short time with him, he was a friend or a guy that, that would that would be open to being a friend. And again, you hear stories like this and you think, you know, again, we, it's easy to go, oh, these rock stars in, in their private jets and their planes and their, their riders. These are guys who are grinding it out on the road for us every yeah. single day in front of not thousands and millions of adoring fans, but sometimes a couple of hundred. Yeah. And again, this wasn't a band that was He's... necessarily... He's a working class guy. Oh, you know, a, I mean, he, yeah. he lives in he lives in very middle class neighborhood in Staten Island. He's he's total working class. He's total professional. He does so much stuff. I mean, I'm thinking just of everything the guy does. Randy Rhodes remembered tribute. He's a big part of that with like Brian Tishy and those guys. He's so connected and so good, and and he should be a lot more famous than he is. And yeah. this is the last thing that that he and his band should have to endure. Just uh, you know, tragic stuff. And, and everybody should go and check out and support this support band. Him. Buy the album. Check them out. Send some love their way on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, before we we scattle out uh, of this episode let's talk about some of the music we've been checking out obviously adrenaline mob with the people be one of them mitch what else you got well i'm going to go with a two a full circle from great white i think it's just a a fun sort of return to form and i mentioned it last which time, great white I'll... is that the one with terry or the one with jack russell the one with a terry uh, okay. terry Illus uh, from france uh and also I mentioned it last time, so I'll mention it again. Uh, Mark Slaughter, halfway there. It is really a solid, solid rock record. Um, I don't want to say surprising because that sounds insulting, but but I put it on. I was like, okay, it's just going to be – and it was just above and beyond. It really he, – he really just nailed it on this one. Mark, what have you been checking out? You know, there's a, a great – punk rock band called barbed wire dolls and they have a new record out called rub my mind this was recorded <laughs> out uh in in the deserts out by joshua tree there at the uh what do they call it? i forget the studio this queens of the stone age studio out there ranch ranch del something yeah, or another. i don't yeah. know the name but rancho del lalo or something but yeah it's a great stuff and, and these guys uh were signed by lemmy to the motorhead record label before lemmy passed on they uh, do. They're tight with the Eagles of Death Metal guys, so they they have just a really unique sound for a punk rock band. And Pin Doll, the guitar player, great great guy, and he's putting out some great music with this band, Barbed Wire Dolls. Again, the record, which you gotta kind of dig around for it a little bit. Um, it, it's not on all platforms, but it, again, dig around for it. You'll find it. Rub My Mind by Barbed Wire Dolls. Had not heard of them, but punk rock meets desert rock means I'm going to check it out. That's very cool. Um, my two for this week, one of them we talked about in the last episode, but River Dogs, California, huge fan of this band, huge fan of their debut. Still listen to that debut as if it were a brand new release, which was released, I don't even know how many years ago that was. A uh, new album is called California. Rob Lamott, just big shout out to him, not because he is now or has been living in Canada or is a Canadian forever, but one of the most purest, rockiest voices going. I just love this guy's voice. A lot of people know River Dogs because it's Viv Campbell from Dio and Def Leppard. For me, it's all about Rob Lamoth. Guy's amazing. And I've also been uh, checking out, I'm on the fence. I'm not 
not sure if I love it or I just was in desperate need of hearing that type of music. But Mr. Big's latest, Defy Gravity, I can be a shredder geek just like the rest of them. And everyone knows I've got that bass podcast groove. So anytime Billy Sheen's going to be running up and down the uh, the frets and necks of a, of a bass, I'm all nice. in. So Mr. Big's latest, Defy Gravity. Um, if you want to check me out, you can always just Google Mitch Joel or check me out at Mitch Joel on Twitter. Mark, let people know where they can find you. Yeah, just uh, check me out on Facebook. The uh, just search my name. It's Mark with a K, and the last name is S T R I G L. Um, there's also a Talking Metal Facebook page, which if you uh, would like that, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. That's awesome. And and Mitch Lafon, where can we find you? Yes, uh, the new uh, Podcast One app, of course. Uh, you can uh, look up Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Twitter at Mitch Lafon. M I T C H L A F O N. And then I guess uh, just Google. That's a lot easier. Just Google the name. Uh, there's not a lot of Mitch LaFons out there, fortunately. And we'll be back really soon with episode number 42 of Metal Raps. We'll see you all soon. All right, there you go. Metal Raps, a rather recent episode, the most recent episode of Metal Raps. Go subscribe to that on iTunes, and I'd appreciate it if if you left a, a positive review on iTunes. That would be awesome. You can also hear that right on TalkingMetal.com. All right, so we do another show. I do another show called Talking Rock. It's been in existence for many years. It started, we were first calling it Alien Rock, and then we got a cease and desist on that name, so we changed it to Talking Rock. And I've averaged probably like, you know, three episodes a year with Talking Rock. And uh, there was a two-year period where I didn't do anything, and it disappeared from iTunes because apparently if you leave your feed uh, dormant for too long, iTunes removes you. So we started a new Talking Rock feed uh, a month or two ago, and I've been doing some episodes with my friend Joey Haney. He has his own show, Rock Strikes 10, but um, right now we're going to hear Joey on the Talking Rock podcast with myself. This is the most recent episode of Talking Rock If you like what you're hearing, go subscribe to it on iTunes and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, then I'll come back and wrap things up after this most recent edition of Talking Rock here on Talking Metal. Welcome to the third edition of the relaunched Talking Rock podcast. My name is Mark Striegel, and I am joined by co-host... Joey Haney from the Rock Strikes 10 podcast. Joey, how are you? I'm good, Mark, and hello, everybody out there. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you know what I got to do, man? I keep forgetting to remind the Talking Metal listeners to check this show out, so I I have to make a point of that, Um, and hopefully then we'll, we'll start to develop a listener base you know the sticks episode did did do all right two three hundred downloads I think on that which con- all considering that's that's not a bad place to start. Yeah, good interview too. I enjoyed it. Oh, thanks, thanks. Um, so here we go. We're gonna talk some rock for you. Talking rock podcast. So Joey, let's start off with concerts. I recently saw Iron Maiden at the Barclays Center in. Brooklyn, New York, great, great show. Energy level through the roof. Just a really yeah. like special vibe at this show. Um, it was the last show of the tour, and I don't know if it was that combined with the 
the Brooklyn, New York crowd, which for anyone who isn't from New York, Brooklyn is kind of, it's one of the five boroughs, but it's not the five boroughs, uh, it's not the borough you're thinking of. It's not the one with the tall buildings. It's kind of more, it's still city-like, but it's it's more residential. There, You know, it's the kind of, there's a lot of hipsters out there, but there's also a lot of working class people. A lot, it's, it's a melting pot, It's and it's where people live you know it's a it's it's and so it was like a real special vibe at this show the crowd was on fire the band was on fire bruce even made mention that he he could care less if they ever play manhattan again he was so happy with the way the the two shows were going and and went in brooklyn so it was it was a great Mm -hmm. night ghost of course opened up excellent excellent job and bruce dickinson even said that you know he he loved having ghost out on the road with them and said that they definitely want to do more touring with Ghost sometime in the future, which I thought was cool. So, great response from the crowd for Ghost too. What were you going to say, Joey? That would be that, no, that would be excellent if they toured with them again. And I was watching your videos when you were posting them during the show, so it was, it was nice to relive small portions of the show anyway. Because I, right. I saw it in Dallas, and I'm jealous you got to see it twice on that tour. I would have, I probably should have made plans to travel to see that show because I loved it so much, but. Yeah. You, you know, I something? did buy the Texas centric shirt, and uh, oh, cool, cool. you know, I that's the first uh, city centric shirt I bought for Made, and I always miss out on it, but I, I didn't this time. It was great. Well, you know, when they played Jersey, now my poor home state in New Jersey just always is is left out, and despite being the most densely populated state of the of the fifty states, we, we always kind of get. Uh, let out let you know i don't know left out i think is what i'm trying to say and and uh, pissed sure. on and made fun of but uh the jersey show which was a great show no no special t-shirt for that show which i thought was just oh, man. Really, yeah really lame but and i and i specifically i didn't I, you know i said to my wife when we went in there and correct me if i'm wrong if you were at the show and you saw a you know a, a shirt that was specifically for that jersey show i did not at the the stand I was at, but at the Brooklyn show they have of course Eddie smashing the Brooklyn Bridge, so on the yeah. T-shirt. So I had to get that. And um, uh, yeah, he was dressed as the uh, Statue of Liberty, wasn't he? Yeah, I believe you know the, I, one I of the shirts I saw did that. I, I'm not I'm yeah. not sure if he was the Statue of Liberty. I think I don't know. He was yeah. smashing the the Brooklyn Bridge, and a a uh, taxi cab was flying into the the East River. <laughs> um, it's possible. Yeah, mine was uh, the, the statue crown on. I'm not sure. Yeah, my mine was he was a Texas Ranger, and he was uh, uh, busting the boys at the border, you know. Nice. So, <laughs> a nice, nice topical news yeah. there for you. But yeah, uh, I'll have to send you a picture of it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was pretty funny. And of course, like uh, one of the like road signs said 666 miles on it or something like that. So very cool. Yeah. So who who have you seen recently? Well, uh, the, the main thing I definitely want to talk about as far as recent shows is I finally, for the first time and possibly the last, who knows how much, uh, right. how many more tours this guy has left in him, but I finally saw Paul McCartney. And uh, if I'd have known how good that show was going to be, I would have made a point to travel and go see him a long time ago. And weird circumstances, you know, I'm from the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas, yeah. He's played certain parts nearby over the years. Like he's even played some places in Oklahoma before. He's played Houston recently. I just should have traveled to see him. We saw him really like on the border of Louisiana at a place called Bozier City, Shreveport. And was and this like an arena pl- show? 
Yeah, it was it was a small arena. It was like Coliseum style, and apparently the the capacity is like some is, is definitely under fifteen thousand. So getting to see him in, in right. that small a place when he could easily play a stadium uh, was just amazing. That was probably a, a once in a lifetime for me, and we didn't have to sell blood to go see him. So you know, not that Very it was cool. cheap, but it wasn't it wasn't like. Two, $200 expensive. It was, you know, like a little bit over $100 a piece. And, I mean, the dude, it was like a 37-song set list. He played for wow. three hours legit. And, and you know, he could play anything. You, you, you could go up there and play Beatles anything. It doesn't matter how deep the cut is. If it's a Beatles song, people are like, yes, yeah, beautiful. But, you now, know, he still played the stuff like Jet and, you know, Right. What were you going to say? Wings. Uh, like, how does how does he, you know, I saw McCartney only once. It was in 92 at Giant Stadium. And the way I remember it is he, he did like a his first tour in a very long time in 89. Like, I want to say in like 10 or 15 years he hadn't toured. He did the 89 tour, sold out stadiums uh, all across yeah. the country, every place he played. And then he came back around in like 92 and he struggled with filling the stadiums on that tour however the the stadium the the in jersey of course he he filled the the giant stadium uh and it, that was sold out and i was in the very last row of the of the back at the at the very <laughs> nice. top you know and, and things were out of sync because you know the 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 sound and and, and speed of sound and speed of light are are, are different so so by the time the sound reached me, his lips would already be on to a couple words ahead, you know, which was funny. But yeah, um, oh, been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah great, great <laughs> memories of that show. Um, big, big band, from what I remember. It was like yeah, a lot of people on stage, and and it seems like from I haven't seen him since then live, but I have seen him on TV and stuff, and it seems like it's a more stripped down band that he plays with. Is that correct? Yeah, and I don't have their names in front of me, but I swear he's had the same band since probably the last 17 years at the very least. And it's, you know, uh, McCartney goes back and forth between guitar and bass, plays some piano, of course. He's got uh, two guitar players and a guy that plays switches out on bass with him. He's got a keyboard player and his drummer, and that's it, you know? So how does he handle when he plays, like, a Sgt. Pepper's or Magical Mystery Tour song, like a a song off of those records? Is he playing those songs? And there's so much instrumentation with the orchestra and the, you know, just sound effects and tape loops and everything else and the horns on on those songs. How does he handle those songs? Yeah, and there was no live horn section on stage, so I'm assuming his keyboard player has uh, has some of that stuff on disc, doing loops and things like that. But it, it doesn't sound canned, you know. It's, it doesn't sound organic, you know. Like when I would go see like, and I love this band, but when I go see like Aerosmith, you could tell that the horns are keyboards, you know. But in this instance, like whatever that guy's using, it sounds very good and very right. accurate to the cool. studio record. It, it all sounds great, and man. I'll do a few spoilers in case uh, somebody needs a warning and they're going to go see him. But there's even a point in the show where they go like more stripped down, a little bit more acoustic. And he played the first ever original that the Beatles recorded, a song called In Spite of All the Danger. Wow. And they did that literally singing into a can, you know, back in the day, which is Paul, John and George. And. They they worked it up as like a full band arrangement, and that thing was breathtaking. It was so good. I mean, wow. I could go wow. on and on, but there are surprises in the set. I mean, there's mega mega hits, 
And then when he plays Live and Let Die, he blows up more stuff than Kiss does. But wow. um, yeah, it was all it was always surprising, always fun. I love the wing stuff, especially, man. You know, I love Let Me Roll It and Jet and stuff like that. Those are great rock and roll songs. Very, you know, Wings, of course, was successful, but I feel like the Wings stuff still doesn't get the credibility that it should. But there you go. Cool. A, a short like review how, of how McCartney. Much, go like, see again, it. And how much Wings did he play? Was it just two songs? No, I mean, he played band on the run also. You know, I don't have the set list in front of me, and I should do that. But... I'm just going off memory. Those right. are the three I remember the the most. Oh man, he did 1985 from Band on the Run. That wow. thing, that was one of my favorite things too because that song is. I mean, I'm a kind of an arrangement nerd. That song is so well arranged and yeah. it's just a fun, quirky song. And you know, Band on the Run's a damn near perfect album anyway, so he could have played that whole thing. But uh, and then he go into. He'd go into Temporary Secretary, which was like from the early 80s, and it's like a new wave song. And wow. everybody just kind of went, what? You know, and it was a single, but it, it, you know, it was a stiff single. But we were like, whoa. And then, you know, he played High, 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 you know. <laughs> and, uh, awesome. you know, going into like Beatles, like, you know, you expect some Sgt. Pepper tunes. I didn't expect being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, but he played it. And it was wow. amazing, especially wow. playing John's songs was real out of nowhere because I, I know he I know he does that. Yeah. But, you know, you're going to lean more towards your stuff. But he played that and he played uh, something, you know, George's song. And that was a tribute to George, of course. And that that song hasn't done a lot for me in a long time. But when I heard it at the show, it was kind of like one of those moments where it's like, I'm OK. I'm fine. Right. You know. Wow. Very it was cool. it was emotional. Yeah, I know yeah. he's coming through uh, New Jersey, and I think he's doing two nights, uh, like literally 15 minutes from my house. So I, I want to try to make one of those nights. But we looked at the calendar, and it was like, it was like a weird like time where we had like a bunch of other shows, and you know how it is between yeah. you know, cost of shows and and uh, you know getting a babysitter yeah, that, and, and all that stuff you kind of have to pick your poison but i do want to see him so you're uh oh. hearing you talk about it makes me want to figure out a way to make that happen in september here in new jersey speaking of the beatles of course john had i believe two sons right julian and yeah. sean lennon and you know i'll probably get shit about this from a lot of people but i am a fan of a, I would say a big fan of Lana Del Rey. I just, I love her vibe. I love her whole voice um, and the way she just, the beautiful soundscaping she has going on her songs. So I, I definitely was uh, excited when she released Lust for Life, her new record last week. Listen to it all the way through. A lot of great stuff on the record. It's not, I mean, if you're, if you're one of my talking metal listeners and you know you only listen to Slayer and Anthrax, obviously you're not going to like it. But uh, if you have an open mind, I, I suggest giving it a, a try. And on the record is a song by uh, that she does with Sean Lennon, uh, John Lennon's son, and it's called "Tomorrow Never Came." I was in my car when this song came on, and you know she sings, uh, starts singing it, and then. He comes in, and I got goosebumps when his voice came on because it just sounds. This song specifically sounds. It's he sounds like John Lennon on this song, and I mean it. It's just you. You. He's. 
you know, I don't know if he's trying to mimic his father or that's just the way he sounds. But, I mean, he sounds exactly, not exactly, but close to being John Lennon on this song. And if you're a John Lennon fan, I I highly recommend you check the song out um, off the Lana Del Rey record, Lust for Life. Again, Tomorrow Never Came, featuring Sean Ono Lennon, is how they credit him on, on the song. And, you know, it got me thinking about Sean Lennon. And he's somebody I've always known about, but you know, I had yeah. the Julian Lennon record with the one, the one, the one hit on it. Uh, I forget what it was. Yeah, Vol- it's a called Volat. Volat. Yeah, I, I still have yeah. it in my vinyl collection right over here. And yeah, and that's a good record. Like it that's, is. It, it's a good record. Like Phil Ramone produced it, and man, the circumstances under which he probably made that record, I, I can't believe it's as good as it is. You know, because yeah. I mean, the pressure had to be extraordinary. And- well, yeah, and that brings me to Sean, because you know, I remember Sean, like he was got signed to to Grand Royal. Mm-hmm. the the Beastie Boys label and I you know he was kind of a, a, a fixture on the New York scene when when I when I was living in New York City and and uh, a big part of the music scene there but no one ever really took the guy seriously and, and this is an inside story I recorded with uh, uh, the manager of Ween he also was a recording engineer. And I remember him telling me, I'm not going to say his name because it's, but sure. I remember him telling me, this is when Ween were as big as they ever got, you know, late 90s or whatever. And him, sure. him telling me that Sean Lennon had, had wanted to work with the guys in Ween and, and you know, they, they kind of didn't have time to do it. And it almost made it sound like he was getting blown off by, you know, yeah. by Ween and Ween's manager and, and, you never really heard much of his music. I mean, I kind of always knew, well, he made music and he worked with this person and that person. But this Lana Del Rey yeah. song kind of got me going back through his old catalog. And I mean, he's been putting out music for years. And I was in, I'm embarrassed to say that I, I, I never really paid much attention. And, you know, my brother yeah. was into the... Uh, the Claypool Lennon Delirium record that that yeah. came out in 2016, and they just dropped a new song like two weeks ago, um, off I guess a forthcoming record, and it's great too. So Sean Len- and it's totally different from the Lana Del Rey song in in its style. Uh, again, it's Les Claypool from Primus fame and and John Lennon's son Sean Lennon, and it's it's just fantastic. It's uh, Satoria Satoriae Satoria. And it's on Spotify right now. It just came out about two weeks ago. Great stuff that I highly recommend. And that sent me back to listen to the next thing that I found by him on Spotify, which was a movie soundtrack for Ava's Possessions. And I started listening to that. And I was like, wow, this is great, too. And so, yeah, I'm embarrassed to say that here's this guy. And then I went back to the next record after that. I just started scrolling down (laughs) Spotify. And and here, here I am, you know, in well into my 40s and have always known about Sean Lennon but never you know he never had MTV hits he never had FM radio hits right. and and right. here was all this great stuff by a guy who i suspect his name may i mean it may have actually hurt him at least for me you know i i was never really oh yeah john lennon's son you know i i don't know sure. I, it it probably in a way it should have helped 
should have turned my ears towards him, but I don't think it did. I think in a way it kind of made me just like, oh yeah, well, you know, he can't he can't be anything like his father, you know, which who who could be? But I feel like I've, yeah. I've missed out on Sean Lennon's career. Have you been yeah. tuned into what he's been doing through the years? No, honestly, I haven't. I could tell you some of the perceptions that I have of him. Uh, you know, as far as what I knew of him, and I think he did have a lot of things going against him. I think the public perception, him being Yoko's kid and not Cynthia's kid, I think hurt him. Really? I yeah. mean, I think that's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. Yoko's so vilified, and sure. you know, I think that's a lot of it because Julian definitely gets more sympathy as well as he probably should because he was kind of the abandoned kid. So there's that on t- uh, and then, right. you know, the whole thing is like the public perception I have of him personally, I, I saw him dating models and movie stars and stuff like that. Yeah, like totally. he's only kidding. I'm like, he's only kidding. He's just riding the name and all this other stuff. But between the stuff that I did here when he first came out, cause I know he did some stuff with Chiba model also cause he was yes. dating one of the, one of the ladies in Chiba model, but yeah. uh, he aged very well. I think he's just going to prove to be a late bloomer. Uh, you know, I always liked hearing him talk about music. I'd see him in certain interviews over the years, like on some of those package shows, and I'd see him on some documentaries. Like he's on uh, the Beach Boys documentary called Endless Harmony, and okay. he's a he's a really good ambassador as a Beach Boys fan because he'll tell you to dig deep, just like I do. And you know, he even says, "Well, the Beach Boys were using these chords before the Beatles ever did, so they were really the innovators here." You know, so they. Like, this is a Beatle kid saying the Beach Boys were more musically advanced at one point than the Beatles were. Right. So things like that. But so he always seems like a cool guy to me. But I think there are some things that just hurt his music career on the surface. And that's, you know, the celebrity type stuff. Well, cool. Yeah, I think people, if you haven't checked out Sean Lennon's work, maybe because he's Sean Lennon, do yourself a favor and go check some of it out. Um very diverse guy, very wide variety of sounds out of this guy. And I, I think a, a true talent. I mean, he was even, I was reading too, He, I guess he played bass with Albert from The Strokes in his solo band. And, you know, he's kind of been all hmm. over the place. So uh, interesting character who I, at this point in my life, plan to start learning more about because what I've heard in, you know, the last week alone i've been very impressed by uh another show that i have coming up which you know i think i'm thinking of hitting queen next next week with adam lambert have you seen that uh version uh yeah, no i haven't i i i just i can't do adam lambert right. and queen i'm sorry yeah no fair <laughs> enough fair enough it's not it's not something i was i was seeking out but as it turns out the the kids are doing like an overnight to their grandmas so emily and i were like well what shows are around so we either have blondie with garbage opening up down in red bank new jersey which is like kind of far it's like an hour drive and is it okay because i I would definitely go to that show over queen well the thing is queen's in new york city so we kind of figured like hey we Uh, can you know go do some drinking and take public transportation and and whereas if we go to the Blondie garbage show, it's it's a lot of driving, and I, so I don't know. We're kind of still on the fence, but we're kind of leaning towards yeah. Queen with Adam Lambert. Um, and sure. another show that I have coming up in September is Roger Waters, and I've, I've never seen anybody from Pink Floyd, and I've always been an enormous wow. Pink Floyd fan. You know, I've read 
the book Saucer Full of Secrets, which you haven't, if you haven't read, it's just a v- awesome yeah. read about Pink Floyd. Yeah. So I, I, this is me just trying to actually kind of steal a plug for Rock Strikes Tim. But years ago, when you came on my show, Mark, which yeah. is, I still appreciate you doing that, you did your Desert Island show, your top 10 Desert Islands, kind of a non metal list, which I, I really enjoyed that you did that. And I remember you had animals on your top 10. So. Oh, yeah. Great, and he's. I'm doing excited. A I'm lot excited of, for you to get to see it. Yeah, yeah he's doing a lot off of animals uh, on this this recent tour. So, anyways, you know, I, I'm totally excited to see Roger Waters, and went out for drinks with uh, a friend of mine who is. Uh, eh, I wasn't going to say his name, but I'll, I'll say because chances that he hears this, and I'm not going to say anything real bad about him, but. Are yeah. probably slim, anyways. Uh, John Wiederhorn, who who co-wrote Scott Ian's book and L. Jorgensen's okay. book, and uh, best-selling New York Times author, and he writes for you know Rolling Stone, Revolver. He he does a daily post on Yahoo dot com. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty mm-hmm. big time rock journalist. I was out with him is, and my friend. Is that the guy that wrote uh, Louder Than Hell? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, great book. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. He's a, he's a really talented guy. We go to some shows together, and he he lives not too far from me, so he came over cool. to my neighborhood, and we grabbed my friend Karen, who is Deep Purple's current publicist, and she's done tons of stuff, including you know she was Mariah Carey's publicist for a while. She was like pretty big time, and she kind of got out of the business when she had kids, and anyways, now she's kind of getting back into it, and she is doing deep purple and some other kind of up and coming acts. So anyways, great, great lady. So we, the three of us went out for uh, a couple beers and, and drinks at the local pub, actually dinner. We got dinner too. And, um, you know, we were talking about shows and what, who we went, who saw what and what's going on. And, you know, they were, they're both, uh, you know, I would say non-practicing Jews. And I, with pride said, Hey, I'm, I uh, can't wait. You know, I'm going to see Roger Waters and they oh. both kind of like, <laughs> they both yeah. kind of like, well, yeah, you know, we, and, and I will say, and I'm not, I know people always get ticked if I ever kind of hint at politics, but I, I will say both sure. of them are big anti-Trump people. Like, like crazy. Sure. I like, I mean, I, they're like really, really anti-Trump, which it's sure. no secret. So is Roger Waters. Yeah. But, so Waters is 50 50 with them, basically, is what you're yeah, saying. Well, not even. They were like, you know, well, because of his, you know, criticism of is- Israel, you know, we could, yeah. we could never support that, you know, respect his music. And, you know, the, the friend I'm going with to the show, he's half Jewish. And, and I'd call him agnostic. You know, he's not practicing, but he, uh, he, you know, he even said, and he's an enormous Roger Waters fan and Pink Floyd fan and like one of the biggest fans I know. I mean, he knows Radio Chaos. He knows all the obscure, obscure Roger Waters stuff. And and you he, uh, you know, he even he was like, yeah, well, it makes me a little uneasy. <clears throat> so I started thinking, you know, and, and I will say that I've heard Roger Waters' criticism and I've heard of of Israel, and I've heard people distort what he's saying and calling him a Nazi and all this stuff, which is so far from the truth. This guy's father yeah, was I wouldn't killed. go that far. Yeah, he, yeah, his father was killed by Nazis in 1944 yeah. 
while his mother was pregnant to him. He hates Nazis. And I mean, anybody yeah. who knows the music he makes should, should realize that. But, yeah. but, you know, and, and okay, I'm trying to tread lightly here, but his criticism yeah. of Israel is that there are, they, they are doing things that are unfair to a race of people or and and that they there is uh, he calls Israel an apartheid state there are crimes you know against humans going on there that shouldn't be happening uh, that he considers illegal by the UN standards uh, and, and so whether I agree with those statements or not um, I guess the thing I wonder is you know and and some people have been saying well okay even if he say what he's saying is true why isn't he also calling out other countries and why is yeah. he focusing on Israel? And I guess that's where s some of the, uh, you know, the uncertainty about, about him is coming from, uh, you know, and, and I, I get that. Cause you know, listen, I, I, Iraq and Iran and Syria and, and yeah. North Korea and other, I mean, we could just go on and on with dozens of yeah. awful countries where awful things happen to people. And it, I don't yeah. even mean to put Israel in, in the same boat as, as those countries, but you know, it, it, so it's like, I guess the question to me is, do these rock stars just need to shut up? You know, I mean, is it better if they don't get into this? Cause Roger Waters is all in, he claims that even when he plays Kansas City or deep in a red state, that people still like it. Uh, the, yeah. the apparently the stage show is very anti-Trump. I haven't seen it. Uh, mm. I know for which I think he's even I think he's even dialed back some of that from some of the initial performances, like at the uh, Road Trip Festival last year. He literally just put "fuck Trump" on the uh, LED screen, and I don't know if he's still doing that or not. But I don't think he is because I think we would have heard that. At this point, I heard it's still and, pretty uh, intense, you know, and I did watch an interview yeah, yeah. where he says, I hate it. I hate Hillary, too. He's like, you know, and anyone <laughs> who comes to my show who thinks, you know, I'm going to be embracing some politician or something, it, it doesn't yeah. know my music and shouldn't be there. He estimates 10 yeah. people a night leave his show because of what's going on, sure. which, you know, and isn't many. He, he was just say. down here. Yeah, exactly. He was just down here about a month ago. And there were no fist fights, you know, in the hallway or anything, which in Texas, that's that could be a miracle for a show like that. But, right. you know, the, the short answer is uh, they shouldn't go there. You know, that that's the short answer. I, I know Alice Cooper always says that 100 percent would never speak of an affiliation, even offstage. Rock and roll should always be the antithesis of politics in the, in the short. So there's that. But at the same time, man. Like, I think Waters going political and bring it onto his stage is not so shocking to me. It'd be more shocking if Meatloaf started to preach on stage during his show about politics because we know where he stands, but he doesn't do it, you know, So because his, his music is more escapism. And, and not that Pink Floyd's and Roger Waters' music can't be escapism, but it's very topical and on point and... You know, I mean, the freaking Nazi imagery throughout the wall movie. I mean, you, you kind of understand where they're coming from. So it's not I don't think it's such such a big shock. I you know, it's their prerogative not to issue warnings. I mean, the uh, reviews are going to do that for you in advance. So, right, right. you know, and, that's and his I will journey. Say, anybody who thinks Roger Waters, which there's this rabbi uh, guy who started this big criticism of 
of Roger Waters. And, you know, Roger is uh, a part of this boycott, uh, boycott uh, I think it's called boycott, derestment and sanctions program against Israel. And he, I mean, he's, Roger Waters is all in on this. He spoke at the UN about it, which I listened to. Uh, But anybody... Stern hates him. Like, Stern trashes him all the time now. Yeah, anybody who thinks that that he's uh, a Nazi, though, I think is uh, out of their minds. I mean, Nazis murdered this guy's father and and caused him lots of mental anguish over this. So, uh, you know, I, I... you know, when I Ted Nugent, he's lost me. I, I, I it's like I loved <laughs> old Ted Nugent, but like oh. whenever the guy opens his mouth now, like I don't want I don't want to hear it, you know. Um, yeah. And maybe that's because I tend to lean a little bit left of center. I consider myself yeah. more of a guy in the center, yeah. but I, it's, I'm definitely Ted Nugent's such center. a sad. Yeah, it's such a sad case, the Nugent thing. I mean, this so, guy is I mean, still I one of the him, he's know. one of the greatest living guitar players in the world right now, and it kind of doesn't matter. Like cuz he's he's made it such about that when it comes to him that even if you went to see him play and he wasn't going to talk between songs, which he does, but even if he wasn't, I think it still hurts him. He's gone that far um to where it's almost like I don't even want you coming to my show if you don't agree with the things that, that I'm all about. And that that's that's when it gets really sad and unfortunate, you know. Yeah. So I mean, just, I know Springsteen it, goes political during his shows and I, I you know, so I I'm on the fence about it. I mean it's like it's like I, I guess I, I give people like Roger Waters and for that matter Ted Nugent or Kid Rock, you know, credit yeah. for, for being able for having the guts to go up on on stage and do that. However, I do agree that sometimes I just don't want to hear that, you know, out of, especially with how, how, uh, explosive it is right now, just with politics, I avoid talking with my family, you know, it's like, like, so it's like, you know, but then there's part of me that's like, if, if it agree, if they tend to agree with what I believe, part of me is like, you know, they should do it, but uh, which is just stupid because they, they shouldn't. But yeah, so yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, but it's my, uh, my entire my entire immediate family on my side, all right wingers. And I'm the only one that's like either progressive or left. Right. So, yeah, it, it sucks. But, you know, I you made me just think of what Springsteen did. I think it was a couple of years ago. He refused to play a show in an arena in a state that was, uh, you know, pro that bathroom law right, that North was going Carolina, on. You know, think, all, yeah. All, yeah, all that bullshit. Yeah. And. I get where he's coming from with that, but I don't like it. Like, and he seems like such a cool guy for the most part, in my opinion. But I think that when, when you're taking that on your fans, like, I don't dig that. What he should have done is he should have canceled the show in the venue, have the fans get the tickets back and then, you know, roll up in a flatbed outside the place and have porta bodies lined up around it. Right. <laughs> and, and play the show for free, you know, like, as a, that would have been a great protest, you know, just yeah. things like that. You got to think, you know. porta potties. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. See, there's there's solutions here, but yeah, I know, you know, there's so many things to talk about when it comes to inserting politics and personal beliefs into entertainment. It's always fun, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I like I said, I, I I tend to, I think, I guess my verdict on the Roger Waters thing is that. 
I, I get it, but maybe he's gone a little too far with it. That's, I think, my my verdict on it. Um, again, yeah. I need to do more reading and more research. And there is a good Facebook post that he, he put on his, like, official Facebook page back in 2013 where he kind of, like— debunks a lot of what people are saying about him and if you have if, if you have opinions about what he's saying or somebody told you that he said such a such a thing i suggest you go read that facebook post from 2013 mm. where he kind of breaks things down i mean this is a guy he has mm. jewish grandkids you know um, because mm. his daughter-in-law is mm. jewish uh, his father was murdered by nazis so uh, and i think you should mm. go read the Facebook page before mm. you judge him from what you're reading on, sure. you know, the internet, which people just yeah. make stuff up as we know. Sure. Uh, anyway, and I almost, I almost yeah. forgot. Um, oh, sorry. No, so go sorry. ahead. Uh, I almost forgot to mention this one. Uh, Todd Rundgren is out on the road right now. And he even said in his press release, which he's not, his music's not political at all. At least not anything that I've ever heard. And I've heard, quite a bit of his stuff over the years. He, he put in his press release and says in all of his interviews, if you're a Trump fan, you might want to stay home for this one. Okay. You're well, probably not going to like right? anything I might say. Yeah, he yeah. did. The, at least he did that. You yeah. Know? I, you yeah. know what? That that's, I give him credit for doing that. I do. I think that's, yeah. that's, that's definitely fair. That's definitely fair. Yeah. Um, oh. And you know, I, I, I want to wrap it up here because we're trying to keep these uh, to about 40 minutes, but the one thing, I heard somebody say recently, and it really dawned on me is is a is a true statement, and that's that. You know, Elvis is kind of disappearing from popular culture, and and yeah. I I think it's so true. I mean, you know, Elvis died. I was alive when he died. I remember when he died, and it it took a a few years. It probably took a decade after he died, but suddenly he became this iconic almost excuse me but almost christ-like you know figure yeah oh yeah uh, you know? yeah and 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 that was so strong for so many years but i feel like in the last 10 years especially maybe even 15 he's slowly faded we don't hear people talk you hear people talk about the beatles way more than elvis nowadays you hear the beatles oh, music yeah. way more than elvis there's there's no radio yeah. stations at least in new york city that would ever play an elvis song uh, he, he's, he, he's really yeah, vanished. The oldie stations are, yeah, the oldie stations are playing eighties music yeah, now. Kenny so. Loggins. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe some seventies. Yeah. yeah. You got to go on like serious fifties or Elvis radio on serious to, to hear Elvis nowadays. Yeah. I think a lot of that, um, who that, who is at fault for that, for the disappearance of Elvis is whoever is handling his estate. Uh, and you know, those things switch, I think over the years sometimes. So, for for dead icons, there are people running the business of that icon. Yeah. So well, you know the family sold the rights to to his music and everything, like probably like ten to twelve years ago. And I have to wonder if that has something to do with this. Well, that obviously was a mistake, considering what is going on or the lack of what's going on. The last thing they really did to push Elvis was do that uh, Junkie XL remake back in two thousand and two or something like that, and that right. thing was a hit. Yeah. You know, so it was a legit hit like all over the world. So they had something with that. And yeah, is it like the legacy of Elvis? I mean, it's told by people that grew up on him and became famous and got into music because of him. But yeah, like the average kid, if you went on the street and interviewed 100 kids right now My under kids. the age of, you know, 20, 
25. They don't care. They don't know him. Yeah, my kids don't know who Elvis is. They've never heard of him. And it's like, you know, the the other thing I can't help but wonder is, are, you know, sadly, are we losing the Elvis fans? I mean, my grandparents liked Elvis. You know, they're not here anymore. My mom... My mom just turned seventy. She she liked Elvis somewhat, but then when she got a little older, she got she went the Beatles route, you know. But uh, yeah. I I don't know, you know. It's and and people who are getting into their seventies at this point aren't really as active in pop culture, you know, the pop yeah. culture universe as they once were. But yeah, I definitely yeah. feel like Elvis his his influence, his iconicness, his the spiritual Elvis is uh is fading and, and fading quickly yeah. um yeah and it's just, weird it's like interesting observation yeah like even like sinatra still seems big you know like yeah at least you know around yeah, record yeah, stores point, and yeah. you know, stuff like that like sinatra still kind of has it going on but like sinatra was always your grandparents music or your older parents music so yeah and not that they didn't like elvis too but it took him a while i think with some yeah. of them it's got to be a marketing yeah. thing then. It's got to be that, yeah. that people aren't pushing it like they, they used to. I mean, that, and yeah. and I do know that, yeah, they this family gave up the, the rights and sold it off like yeah. probably at least a decade ago. So interesting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, let us know what you think, guys. Um, you can uh, leave us a comment here on the website in the comment section. You can leave a review for this on iTunes. We'd appreciate that. And you can check out Joey on the Rock Strikes 10 podcast that's available on iTunes. And Joey, before uh, I let you go tonight, what what are you listening to? Uh, I've got three quick ones here for you, more more rock and roll based. Uh, a band called Heavy Tiger out of Sweden. Have you heard them yet? I ha- I believe I have heard them, but um, yeah. I need to revisit they were them. A, yeah, they're an all-female power trio, no, and they no, play no, just like... Heard. They just play like it's like a throwback garage, a little little glam, little garage. The album's called Glitter, and I've been listening to that one a lot. I mean, like, like the lyrics are not deep whatsoever, but that's rock and roll. And some of them are almost like bordering on cheesy lyrics, but everything is real catchy. You know, you're kind of singing the choruses by the second one. You don't even realize it. So Heavy Tiger, I'm Glitter, check it out. I think it's import only now. They don't even have an American deal, but they did just open for Kiss over the spring in Sweden. So I wish I could have seen that. Uh, of course, cheap tricks, new one. We're all right. is a lot of fun. It's cool. way better than the last album. Yeah. It smokes the album from last year. And, you know, since they've been on big machine records, they definitely say they feel a need to put out more product because the label actually is backing them. So that's why they've been kind of on a roll lately, but this one's way better. It's got a cool cover of, uh, Jeff Flynn and Roy Woods pre ELO band The Move. Right, sure. Uh, an, an album, an album called, or, sorry, an album, a, a song called Blackberry Way. It's a nice little bonus on the album, cool cover. That's because uh, they've covered The Move before, because California Man from Heaven Tonight was a Move song as well. Uh, also, Rancid's new one, Troublemaker. Are you a Rancid fan at all, Mark? You know, I've always liked them whenever <laughs> I hear one of their songs, but I wouldn't say I'm a fan because I don't really know much about them. Need to. Uh... Need to Fair get, enough. Some get of the, educated, yeah. Yeah, some of their records are better than others, but this one I think is one of the better ones. They have a new album called Troublemaker. Nice. And there's a song There's a song on there. I heard it first actually when they were being interviewed on Sirius, and this guy said, this news, this song of yours called Bobber Rock and Roll, it sounds like a Slade song. And they were like, oh. yeah, that was totally intentional. He goes, and they name-dropped uh, 
you know, bands like the Hello People, and right. they even talked about Ace Frehley's solo album from '78. Really they go, he goes, we love that stuff. And he goes, we could have done a whole album of this. <laughs> right. And I was wow. like, man, I wish you would have. So check out the song Bobber Rock and Roll, oh, especially by Rancid. Cool. But uh, Troublemaker, cool album. Uh, they're not coming to my town so far on this tour, but they're touring with uh, Social Distort. Oh, wait. They're touring with, uh, I think they're touring with Dropkick Murphys, who have a decent album out this year as well. And yeah, uh, my, so my son come... likes my older son, who is eight, likes that band, and he's a banjo player, yeah. and he thinks it's uh, real cool that they they have a banjo guy in the band. So yeah, awesome. They, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool, man. Cool. Well, Joey, as always, it's been great chatting with you and talking rock with you. Where can the people connect with you on social media? You can uh, go to cnjradio.com. That's where every episode of Rock Strikes 10 is because only the latest hundred are on iTunes. There's also the, the Synaptic podcast that I produce with Randy Brown, who does basically like a college rock old school show where he plays anything from, you know, Casey Musgraves to, to Slayer, you know. So awesome. check that show out. It's, it's a cool show. You would like it a lot, Mark. I and check it out. Uh, yeah, he's going to be at the Nashville Rock and Pot Expo as well. Yeah, so uh, Yeah, guys, come to Nashville Andrew. August 26th. Joey and I will be there. Looks like our tables are right next to each other, too. So, uh, we'll Yeah, I might have asked for that. So, oh, cool. Uh... cool. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. <laughs> so we will be at the Rock and Pod Expo in Nashville, Tennessee. Come join us there. It's August 26th. And tons of podcasters hanging out. A lot of rockers and fun stuff going on. Uh, and then for you kiss fans by the way uh i'm an i I have to get this in while i'm still plugging my show i'm sorry uh if you're a big kiss fan or you haven't yet been indoctrinated into kiss i just did a three-parter over the weekend where i took the borrowed with permission rock and roll geek scoring system right and ranked every kiss album every kiss studio album to actually find out what my favorite kiss album is because i've never known before until recently wow so okay there's a, a three-part episode called rock and rank kiss special part one two and three it's uh, those are the three last episodes of rock strikes 10 okay awesome stuff can't wait to hear those joey until next time thanks for uh, talking rock with me anytime mark thanks for having me hey that was the most recent edition of talking rock here on talking metal uh just secured the uh, bought the domain name off of somebody who owned it, not GoDaddy. Some other dude owned TalkingRock.net. I bought it. Might be doing something with that in the near future. Paid a couple hundred bucks for it, so I need to do something f- with it. Um, yeah, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, TalkingMetal.com is going strong. Constant updates. We have reviews going up of recent CDs. You want to know... What we think of the new Alice Cooper record? Go to TalkingMetal.com. Read the review in the review section. That's the way we do it. I did want to give a quick review. I, you know, I saw Queen with Adam Lambert two nights ago and three nights ago in uh, New York City. Terrible. You know, I had high hopes for this show. I know a lot of people are liking it. Uh, it's been getting good reviews. Don't believe the hype, guys. This is a money grab. Outrageously expensive tickets to see a show that I feel doesn't truly honor Freddie Mercury. There's, there's, you know, only a few parts where they even mention the guy's name. One part where Brian and has the screens come up behind me and it makes it seem like he's playing with Freddie. Uh, you know, a couple name checks of Freddie by Adam Lambert, but it's just 
really, really disappointing. Uh, not a rock show at all. You know, I watched a lot of Queen videos with Freddie and, and John Deacon back in the day. And what a rock band this was. You know, sure, other influences in the music, definitely. But, but Freddie was a rock singer and a beautiful one at that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he could probably have sung other styles of music and sometimes did. But Queen was a rock band. And Adam Lambert delivers a Broadway-style show with two original members of Queen, Brian May and uh, Roger Taylor. Best part of the show, Roger Taylor doing uh, I'm in Love With My Car because we didn't have to listen to, uh, to Adam Lambert sing the Queen songs in a Broadway-style voice, which Freddie Mercury did not have. He had a unique, one-in-a-kind voice, and it's led me to think, well, could anybody, is it possible anybody could have gotten up there and done a good job? Yeah, you know, he's not metal, obviously, far from it. Let me just say this, these two, this guy's name, rest in peace, George Michael. Go back and look at what he did at the Freddie Mercury AIDS benefit. Remember that from years and years ago? So brilliant, so great. Adam Lambert, the sh- the you know the goofiness that he brought into it, I, I didn't think was that great either. Uh, I understand, you know, he's over the top uh, type of character, you know, and that's great. But you know, Freddie Freddie delivered a serious show for the most part. I almost felt like the props and the stuff, the the oral sex jokes and everything that that Adam Lambert was doing during the the show. Eh, disrespectful, disrespectful. I, I could have done without that. You know, let's show some respect for some of the greatest music ever made by by Queen, by those four members. Um, Roger Taylor can't play drums anymore, by the way, guys. He fucking sucks. And, I, you know, they had a side drummer playing with him who was, you might not have noticed if you go into the show, but this was the guy holding the songs together. Um. And, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings about that, too. Um, part of me thinks, you know, when Kiss did the reunion tour, you know, 20 years ago at this point, they, they would have benefited from a side guy because Peter couldn't play either. You know, same with Sabbath. Bill Ward couldn't play that well anymore either. However, it was great to see, you know, them up there just doing their thing and trying their best, even though they were a fraction of what they used to be, you know, as far as their technical skills went. But very, very disappointed and uh, took a lot of shit on social media for my uh, for ripping this Queen with Adam Lambert show apart. But uh, I'll say it again here, guys. If you're a fan of rock music, and I believe, personally, if you're a true fan of Queen, you will be as disgusted uh, with this show as I was. And sure, when you're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for each ticket and you have to uh, also you know, get a babysitter and get transportation to and from the show, parking is outrageous, that all adds into it. You know, there, there should be nothing less than a stellar, awesome performance. You know, I saw Anthrax at a smaller theater, Overkill at a smaller theater this year, and it last in line with Vivian Campbell, which brilliant, awesome. Um, and, you know, I, I those those shows were like between twenty and, and and fifty dollars tops, but less than that actually, less than fifty dollars for those shows, and they were brilliant. They were they were, they were so great, and and there's no need, I don't think, for these bands to charge such outrageous prices just because you want to be, you know, 
within a uh, hundred yards of the stage. And we're not even talking about front row seats here. The Queen tour, a ripoff. Don't bother. Don't believe the hype. That does it for today. Subscribe to Talking Metal, Talking Rock, and Metal Raps on iTunes. If you want to see a Broadway show style version of Queen's music where the guitar is going to be way low in the mix and there's going to be a bunch of other musicians on stage playing along and, and in trying to enhance uh, the Brian May and, and uh, Roger Taylor, then go see Queen. Uh, I suggest you watch some of the Adam Lambert videos on YouTube first because you'll see how much they fucking suck and uh, you probably won't want to go. Um, it's it's a falsehood. It's uh, no good. And it's another ripoff by people doing a show that is a complete money grab. And I'm disgusted with these, these bands. Uh, I don't get free tickets. Rarely. You know, I rarely. I shouldn't say I don't. Sometimes I do, but in general I don't. And I, I get fucking pissed when somebody robs me like Queen did with Adam Lambert. All right, that's enough. Take care. We'll talk to you guys next time. We got Faster Pussycat and Quiet Riot on the very next episode of Talking Metal.